Okay, before I get to my next guest, Matthew Lawrence, I want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs have just released their new Spring and Summer 22 collections with fun, new, and exciting prints like the Freedom 2 and 3, Santa Fe, Tigers, Zebras, and Duckies. And their new exclusive Folds of Honor collection, where they donate 20% of all Folds of Honor sales proceeds to that cause. The patented Joey Pouch technology delivers maximum comfort, fit, and performance while preventing any unwanted skin-on-skin contact or chafing. Good for anything from the golf course, to the boardroom, to the bedroom. You can find these two underperformance briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, all PGA Tour superstores, Golf Galaxy, Dillard's, and other fine retailers near you. You can also order them online at twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two Under, performance in your pants. Use code NEXTT20, that's N-X-T-T-E-E-20, for a 20% discount on the Two Under website. also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip Golf Pride. Okay, now back with me is one of my all-time favorite actors, radio hosts, and people on the planet for that matter, and that's Matthew Lawrence. You guys hear me talking about Matthew's show Backspin Golf all the time because it's fantastic and the best way to start your Sunday mornings. You can stream it online by going to WLXG.com or downloading the WLXG app. The show starts at 8.03 a.m. Eastern Time. Going back to 2020, Matthew was recognized by the Kentucky section of the PGA of America as their media representative of the year for his great contributions to the game. Among Matthew's great work on screen is his stellar performance as bass player Salamato in the movie Eddie and the Cruisers. You guys know is one of my all-time favorite movies. I've seen it about a hundred times and I could recite lines with Matthew, which might be fun to do sometime. You've probably also seen Matthew on Saturday Night Live, Beverly Hills 90210, One Tree Hill, 30-something, and dozens of other TV shows. Matthew has also been a sideline reporter and hosted pre- and post-game shows for Duke Basketball and now Kentucky Basketball. He also hosts a daily show on WLXG ESPN Radio up in Lexington, Kentucky. He's a tremendous talent and an even better friend, and I can't thank him enough for coming back and being a part of tonight's show. Sir Matthew, how are you, my friend? I'm exhausted listening to all that. <laughs> I'm exhausted. As you should be. You've done a I lot, mean, my friend. I have, and I'm really old, and and it's all settling in as I listen to you. And you left out a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, no doubt. You know, well, but I mean that. Yeah, but that's okay. I can't that's but okay. you have your whole IMBD whatever you know yeah. list of things yeah. you've done. Yes. Uh, How are you, my friend? You left out the the first job I ever did. I got a Coke commercial. That's how I got my SAG card. Tell (laughs) me that story. And it was, oh, man. Uh, All right. You're going to make me cry again. That's what I I do. I always do on your show. I know. That's that's what I do. That's what you do. (laughs) Um, And I'm fine, by the way. And thanks, as always, for including me. I mean, I always, the thing is, I, 
you, your guests are always so unbelievable that I always follow somebody and I sit there listening and I'm going, I, I can't be on the show with Bob Ford. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was fantastic. Um, all right. The short version, <laughs> which sometimes I have trouble with, as you know, um, I was, I was in the early seventies. That's right. That's how old I am. In the early seventies, I went to the neighborhood playhouse for a year, uh, after I graduated from college. And, uh, after that, I started working as a waiter, which I did for about seven years in New York City, taking acting classes, uh, with the great Uta Hagen and, uh, just trying to get a job. And back then there were no parts for young people. It wasn't like there was a 90210 or, or really any of those shows. And I looked very young. I looked a lot younger than I actually was. So I had a lot of trouble. I had trouble getting an agent for a long time. And I did off-off-Broadway theater. And like most actors, as I said, I was a waiter. Uh, my dad, uh, and this is the hard part, my dad and my mom were the most supportive people in the world. And it was rough on my dad because he worried, he worried, you know, as parents do about their kids. And he knew that I wanted to act, but I, I couldn't get a job that would pay me. And I didn't have my Screen Actors Guild card, which to him was, that meant that I was really an actor. If I were in the union, that meant that I was really an actor. And I had a friend that I went to the neighborhood playhouse with who became an agent. And I used to go hang out at his office all the time. And one day, after literally about six or seven years of, of trying to do this, um, he finally put me in touch with the person at the office that sent people out for commercial. And he set up an audition for a Coke commercial. Uh, he said, well, we're not going to sign you, but, you know, go out on this audition. Let's see what happens. And I went out and I got this job. And it was the easiest thing I ever did. It was a guy in a pizza place in New York. And somebody came up to the counter and I handed them a Coke, basically. And through that job, I got my Screen Actors Guild card. And I remember, oh, boy. I remember calling my dad and telling him that I had gotten this job and that I, I would be able to get into the union. And he started to cry. And I come from a family of criers. And uh, it really was like a day that he said he never forgot because it meant so much to him that I was now kind of official, you know. And... um the sad part of this is that the first real job that I got, which was a movie called Prince of the City, um, with one of the great directors of all time, Sidney Lumet, um, and that started my whole acting career. Uh, my dad passed away about two months before I actually got that job. But I always felt just that co-commercial and getting the Screen Actors Guild card, that's what I remembered about the joy. He had about that. 
Did he get to see you in the Coke commercial? He did see me in the Coke commercial. And that, too, was one of the great things ever. <laughs> but we didn't have cell phones back then. And so uh, he tried to get in touch with me. And I remember coming home to a voicemail uh, from my dad and how excited he was that he had seen me on the TV. And it literally was for maybe, I don't know, three seconds, maybe. <laughs> but uh, but it, that was enough for him. Did your mom get to see you in all the, the movies and the things that you've done? Oh, yeah. Yes. My mom, uh, my, my brother, Mitchie, who you've had on the show also, uh, our mom passed away. I think it's only maybe four or five years now. She was in her early nineties and she saw everything. Um, and that's, that was always such a blessing for me. I took her, your favorite movie. Eddie and the Cruisers, as a matter of fact, when we finished shooting that movie, uh, they did a, a rap party for the movie in down, in New York City downtown at this huge bar where the whole cast and crew got together and just had an amazing night. And I actually brought my mom to the cast and crew party, uh, and she had the time of her life and then uh, we saw the screening of the movie a couple nights later with the cast and crew also, and she was there for that, too. She saw, luckily enough, she saw everything that I did. She came to, uh, when I was on duet on Fox for three years, she saw many of those shows. She came out to L.A. Um, so luckily, my mom did get to see a lot of, a lot of my work. Matthew, speaking of Eddie and the Cruisers, and one of the many things, that I find amazing about that movie is how many cigarettes you guys smoke and that and making that. How, how many cigarettes did you go through and how did you guys survive that? Survive it was 40 years ago. I mean, I, I survived pretty well. Uh, I don't know, five packs a day. I don't, you got to remember. Goodness. Here, well, here, here's the thing. And I, I don't know how many it was, but here's the thing. Uh, and if you hear barking, my dogs are about to go berserk here on me. <laughs> I'm walking away. Uh, here's the thing. When you're doing a scene, movies like that, where, I mean, I've been watching, like we all have, a lot of Netflix and a lot of different movies and different things. And I don't even remember what it was the other night. I was watching one and every scene, every person was smoking. In every scene, it was something in the early sixties, I think. And when you're shooting a movie and you're smoking in a scene, every time they say cut, you have to, and then they go to do it again. You have to have the cigarette in the same place that it was before, after they do the master, which I've explained to you on this show before, which is the, the, the big shot with everybody in it. And then they, if they get that, they do close-ups. So you're constantly, like with smoking, you, I've done movies in Eddie and the Cruisers. Uh, you know, I've done movies where you had to eat something and you had to do it over and over and over and over again until you were sick by the end of the day. <laughs> um, so yeah, there was a lot of cigarette smoking going on then, but everybody smoked back then. It was a long time ago. Yeah. 
Uh, let's yeah. talk some golf. I mean, uh, rumor has it this is a golf show, so maybe we should talk a little little golf. And, <laughs> and okay, um, we haven't we haven't uh, had you on since the Masters. So, uh, your thoughts? Take me back to when you were watching Scotty Scheffler and what was unfolding and how well he was playing and and Tiger sort of making his way, limping his way around Augusta National. What what did you think about what you saw over the course of the tournament? Well, here's here's the great thing, and as I've said to you before, I am a huge Tiger Woods fan. Uh, aside from everything that happened to him in 2009 and all that stuff, I'm just talking about the golf and his career. Uh, and I've always been a huge Tiger fan in that respect, and even more so now. Um, so the whole week, Masters week, and the couple weeks leading up to it, when we weren't sure. We didn't know if he was going to play, and then people started tracking his plane. You would see all these people just obsessed with, you know, the app where you can track a private plane, and he just left Florida, and he's on his way to Augusta, and, uh, you know, all that stuff. Um, and then he played the nine holes one day and then went back and played another nine. And as that kind of excitement built, all I kept thinking was that, and I couldn't stop thinking about it while I was watching him the whole time, that a little over a year ago, he had almost died and almost lost his leg. And they told him he would never walk again if he lived. And what it took, he was in a hospital bed for three months after that accident. So basically, in nine months' time, the work every day for hours that he had to put in. And we all saw it when he was walking around Augusta. He can't flex his foot. He has so many plates and rods and pins in his leg. And all I could think about was what he was doing there. And all I wanted was for him to make the cut. That was, I kept saying, if he can play well enough on Thursday and Friday and make it through physically to make the cut, I don't care if he hits a tee shot Saturday morning and then says, I can't do it anymore. Just what it would have taken for him to make the cut. And what he did was absolutely astounding, astounding for him to finish that golf tournament. You've been there. And I've been there. It's the hardest walk in golf. And it's not even close. And I, I the whole time, I just marveled at, at what an incredible accomplishment that was. And for his kids, both of them, um, not just Charlie, but both his kids to see what he did for the last year. And the love, I mean, on Monday... You saw the shots of the practice round. There were 10,000 people out there watching his practice round, nine holes. I mean, it, the whole thing, I'm, I still can't get over what he did. Uh, and as far, oh, yeah, there was a golf tournament, too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, you know, Scotty Scheffler, what he did was amazing, too, because uh, of the way he carries himself, the way... It, you know, these guys are all great. These, we know it. These guys are all great. And for 
the pressure, especially with him winning a couple times and then being number one after 70 tournaments where he didn't win and then he wins three times and now he's number one in the world. And Cameron Smith, who I love that guy too, uh, to see that, that day unfold on Sunday where everybody thought, oh, Scheffler's not losing this lead. And the next thing you know, it was one shot. And the way he responded to that was, I thought it was, a lot of people thought this was a boring Masters. I don't think, number one, there's any such thing as a boring Masters. And I thought, you know, what Scotty Scheffler did, and Cam Smith also, made for great television watching and a great golf tournament. And ending on Sunday, right before Scotty got the green jacket, those holeouts by first Rory and then Colin Morikawa from the bunker on 18, that was among my favorite five moments in golf. That, that was the most amazing thing to watch. As Murakawa's ball got close to the hole, I went, this can't happen. This cannot happen. So that's how I feel about the Masters. I thought it was great. <laughs> so let's fast forward to the week after the Masters. We saw Jordan Spieth get his 16th tour victory during a week where he yep. didn't putt, you know, very well. But as, as I recall from listening to Backspin Golf, which you know I do every Sunday morning, um, you've played Harbortown, you. right? I've played Harbortown. I've, I've been blessed to play it many times, actually. And, you know, the, the great thing, Chris, and I always say this to you, too, when you've played, when you've been blessed enough to play courses, any course, that you can watch a PGA event on television and and have been on that golf course and know what's there and how it feels on that hole and just different things about it or where you could say, yeah, I've been there. You know, like when they hit it in the trees, that's when <laughs> I go, oh, I've been there. I mean, I've, you know, um, <laughs> it, it's great to be able to do that. And for years, uh, my brother and myself and a bunch of our friends were lucky, uh, to play in a golf tournament in Hilton Head for many years. A great charity golf tournament down there. And, uh, we play, we would play Arthur Hills one day and then one other course. And then Sunday we would get to play Harbor Town. And, uh, actually this is, this is a great, so I just told the story to somebody the other day. We, we always talk about, um, people that we play golf with when we meet them on the first tee and we don't know them and what's happened there, you know, resulting from that. I was at Harbor Town one uh, year for the tournament and I showed up at on the putting green and these three guys came up to me that I was going to be paired with that day in the, in the celebrity part of it. And this one guy had, he was where he, he must have had $2,000 worth of golf clothes on. He had alligator golf shoes and the most expensive shirt and straw hat and his clubs and everything. And we got to the first tee and I, as is my custom, I started giving him a lot of crap on the first <laughs> tee about what he was wearing and, and, uh, I, because I talked to him for a minute and I could tell he could handle it. So, for about the first seven or eight holes, 
I was just merciless on this guy. And he would laugh. And his son was playing with us that day. And about the seventh or eighth hole, we were waiting on the tee to hit. And I turned to his son and I said, what the hell does he do for a living? And his son says, he's the head of the West Virginia State Troopers. (laughs) I said, what? said he's the head of the West Virginia State Troopers. So I went walking over to his dad and I went, is he telling me the truth? Are you the head of the West Virginia State Troopers? He said, yes, sir, I am. And I said, oh, this is too good to be true. I said, every one of us has wanted to talk to a state trooper the way I've been talking to you today. And I messed his hair up. I did all kinds of stuff to him. He, I wish I could, it's so long ago, I wish I could remember his name. But about a week later, I got a box in, I was living in L.A. then. I got a box. Uh, that was sent to me and he got my address through the tournament and sent me a whole bunch of West Virginia state trooper things, a beautiful tie that had their insignia on it and a, a baseball cap and all kinds of stuff that he sent to me. And when I think of Hilton Head, that's one of the first things that I think about. That's kind of a little <laughs> off the trail of the story, but um <laughs> that golf course is you and again as with most courses chris you can't tell on tv you really can't though they show you how small the greens are they're smaller than that i mean that is a really it's beautiful but that is a really difficult golf course uh and to see those guys you know and not all of them, a lot of them had trouble on that golf course but to see those guys you know uh hit flop shots over bunkers when because you don't have to miss a green by much there and the beauty is in the green there so uh it's it was fantastic to watch i love that jordan won it again even missing a you know four inch putt and putting as badly as he did because i'm a huge jordan speed fan did did you see uh what he did at the end of the tournament yes. with the kids yes how great was um, that for for people listening uh, who don't know what we're talking about, as soon as he finished, he walked off the 18th green. He didn't know if he was going to be in a playoff. And there were all probably 30 or 40 kids wanting him to sign things. And he said, I have to go sign my scorecard, and I don't know if there'll be a playoff. But whenever I get done, I will come back out here and sign. I promise. Well, we all know what happened. And it took about two hours and he went signed for every one of those kids that had waited for him for a long time. It was, that was fantastic. I love that guy. And I'm really happy that, that he won again. Matthew, one more before I let you go. When people get to be around our age, we start thinking about what our legacy. Wait a minute. Well, hold it, hold it. Excuse me. I have to stop you. When you say around our age, that is, uh, you're the best podcast host in the business, but that's a lie. Okay. <laughs> it's just a lie. I don't want you to you're feel old. I'm not going to say you're old. Stop. Why not? It's the truth. Because. People can, can look at Wikipedia and see when I was born. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's just a number, Chris. Anyway, okay. Yeah, when you get to be as old as we are, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) 
you start to think yeah. about legacy and what legacy you're going to leave behind. And you're a person who has been woven in the fabric of entertainment for the 80s, the 90s, and obviously now on radio from transition from TV to movie, movies to radio. But you're, you've been the media representative of the year for the Kentucky PGA section. You've broadcasted for two of the top college basketball programs that we have in Duke and Kentucky. You host two great radio shows on ESPN Radio there in Kentucky. You've done this show or Thursday Night Tailgate 18 times, which I think is your best work, but I could be biased. But <laughs> outside of your family, your two boys, what's the legacy that you want to be remembered for? Oh, boy. Um, what I hope, see, you always do this to me. What I hope I'm remembered for is that I was kind to everybody. Um, and that's, I really, I can honestly say I have tried to do that every day of my life in one way or another. I haven't always succeeded. I've been pushed to the limit a lot of times, but I hope that when I go, people will say that I was really a kind man. I think that's, uh, especially now with the times we're living in, I think that's incredibly important. And I get, I get that from my family, um, from my mother and father. And I hope that's my legacy. Mission accomplished, my friend. That's already in the book. Matthew, before I let you go, remind our listeners again, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and listen to your shows? Uh, you can listen to Backspin Golf every Sunday morning at 8.03 Eastern uh, on WLXG.com, and you hit Listen Live, or you can download our mobile app. Uh, and that's for my daily show as well, from noon to 2 every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, thank goodness basketball season is over, so I don't have to worry about that until <laughs> next October. Cause it's a, that's a long season with a lot of stuff going on. Um, but WLXG.com is always the best way to find me. Matthew, you're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. I always cherish the time with you. I hope we get to do it again soon. Me too. No, we will. Just ask me. <laughs> we will. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, my Thanks, friend. Love Chris. you. All the best to you Love and your you, family. Man. You See too, you, Matthew. Pal. See you. That's a great Matthew Lawrence, and um, it just doesn't come any better, folks. I mean, to go from Bob Ford to Matthew Lawrence um, and then Scott McCarron to start the show, but um, great, great individual Matthew Lawrence is. I love him like a brother that I've never met in person, <laughs> if you can believe that. We've known each other for many years, um, but it's always been through social media, phone calls, and, and our shows. Um Bucket list item is to uh, see Matthew Lawrence in the flesh, but uh, a finer individual you will not find. And uh, if that's what he wants his legacy to be, to be a kind man, that is already in the books from a, a wonderful human being to a great actor, to a great talent. I look forward to catching up with Matthew again soon.